Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 426 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Kevin Sada of Super Awesome Hyperdimensional Mega Team and ask him about the design and development of their action-adventure shmup hybrid, The Night Witch. Yes, two very different genres matching together, action-adventure and shmup, i.e. things like Ikaruga or R-Type or the Gradius series of games and many others besides, alongside games like Dead Cells, Castlevania, Metroid. Yeah, you know, I'm going with that. So let's listen to me from the relatively recent past talk to Kevin about The Night Witch, which, by the way, is a beautiful and excellent game that you really, really should play. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Chris. Could you tell us who you are and what do you do? Well, I'm, I'm Kevin Sarda, and I'm a game designer. I've been working in video games for 12 years now, and I've been working in all types of games, to be honest. I started in 2010 with my own company that I founded with some friends, and we made a game for iPhone. It was called Nihilambra. It's always hard to say because we are from Spain, so we called it Nihilumbra. When people start asking how was the name in English, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we, we sort of skipped ahead then because I was about to ask, how did you make your start making video games? So you started in, in 2010 or was it earlier? Did you make your start making games, do you think? 
I started in 2010. Yeah, I student project before that, but my first professional game was launched in 2012. Started developing it in 2010. The first game was a puzzle platformer for iPhone. And after that, I, uh, well, we started another project, but uh, I then started working in Tequila Works, which is a company based in Spain that you may know because uh, we made uh, Ryan. Maybe that's my right. most well-known project. Yeah. I was yeah. the lead game designer in Rhyme, and that's a totally different thing from the Nightwish that we're going to talk about today. I, yeah, I worked there as a lead game designer, and then I was there as the narrative director and combat designer in Guild, another title from Tequila Work that you might not have heard of because it was launched on Stadia, and not too many people have played it because of that. But it's going to be ported to other platforms soon. But I think it's that, yeah, that game was uh, almost lost forever, but uh, apparently it's going to be perfect to the club. And after that, I worked more for more time on the Kilo Works and uh, some unannounced projects. But uh, in 2020, 2020, that year, that special year, uh, I started working with Super Mega Team on, on this project, on the Nightwish. Right. So next question. And you can answer this on behalf of the studio or, your, or you personally. I do not mind. The question is this, what are your biggest influences as a creator? Uh, as a creator, um, yeah, that's a really cool question. I mean, every, every video game developer has a lot of influences, a lot of things that they like. I think that I like to mix some of the stuff that I played when I was younger with some of the latest stuff that I keep playing nowadays. Because video games are a really funny thing. Uh, it's hard to have like a game design book or a theory about how to make games because they change so fast, so fast that even the greatest designers uh, of some years ago have to keep learning new things because games have transformed into something entirely different uh, pretty much every four or five years with every changing generation, with every genre that appears. So what I like to do is that I still remember the experiences of games that I like the most. And I try to draw a little bit from the past, a little bit from the present. But in terms of genres and stuff like that, I'm a single player person. I mostly like narrative driven, single player, action, exploration type of games. You draw inspiration from many places. Um, I think that the, the most games that you include in your references, the better. The problem is that uh, then it's hard to talk about them or to analyze them or to describe them within a short sentence. Like, for example, yeah. with an I Twitch, we never thought about how we were going to, uh, which genre we were, how we were going to call it. Of course, we, we knew that we were uh, dipping uh, a little bit into a Metroidvania genre, but that's only about uh, exploration. And also, like, uh, imagining the new abilities that you're going to get by looking at the obstacles, so a feeling that is really common in Metroid. We said this is an exploration and player progression genre. If we talk about first-person shooters, we are talking about a genre that is defined by game mechanics. So why couldn't we have a Metroidvania that is also a first-person shooter? You can yeah. have exploration from one hand, from one hand, from the Metroidvania and mechanics from the other one. But that's a, that's a weird thing about genres that they don't talk about the same aspect of the game. When yeah. you make a game, usually you need like several genres to talk about it. If yeah, it's yeah. not uh, exactly like uh, another game. So next question then. What video game developer do you admire most and why? Oh, that's also a really tricky one. I, 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 to be honest, I don't know 
about the personal lives or opinions. Yeah. I'm really not a lot into social media. And no. I usually no. um, admire people for the work that they've done. Maybe I say someone that, I don't know. I, I really, I think that one of the hardest parts of game design is combat design. Uh, it's super hard to, to nail that. Uh, it's super hard to make it uh, flow fast, but also be intuitive and feel right. And I think that uh, Tomonobu Itagaki, for example, with Ninja Gaiden or Ninja Gaiden 2, the 3D ones, I mean, uh, did something incredible, incredible and amazing. I still think that even new games that come out uh, don't have a combat system that, that uh, well, as good as those. I beat uh, Ninja Gaiden 2 in, uh, in the hardest difficulty. Um, and that's something that is really an accomplishment because they, they really mm, try to, uh, to, 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 well, to make you renounce, to make you quit. But I also, I also like, like to mention Hideki Kamiya because I think that he's also an excellent combat designer and, and creative director in general that designs amazing enemies that when you're playing a game of Hideki Kamiya, you're totally going against some really weird and crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. But the main character is even more awesome than that. And it feels amazing. And he basically, with Devil May Cry, he changed the rules of the of the game because uh, from that point, uh, every new combat system included the fact of being stylish when you fight. I think that that's a great legacy that you could shoot as much as you wanted, already blew my mind. Because the game felt like a Resident Evil, right? But you had a huge sword, like an Iron Man board, and infinite bullets. I, I once heard Kieran Camilla in an interview saying that first he designs the enemies. Like he designs right. the most badass and strongest possible enemies, and right. then he designs a main character that is up to the task. So, last question of the first half. What are you playing right now? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry if I'm super obvious, but I'm playing God of War right now. I think that everybody that can that has a PlayStation is playing God of War. I'm liking it a lot. I think it's amazing. Wow. Uh, it's also because I, it makes sense with everything that I said, but it's hard to see AAA games with that kind of budget that have these yeah. kind of combat systems. Or they're trying to innovate with the combat systems. When they merge the, the Slash, like the melee combat with the um, with the ranged combat, like throwing the axe and pulling it back on the first God of War, and they uh, that was the first time we saw uh, such a complex melee combat system with a third-person shooter camera. Only that, I think that's really brave. And it's the Western studios uh, innovating in combat. That's usually more like the Japanese area. They they are always like leading the the all the novelty in uh, in combat design. But I think that God of War, uh, I mean, totally deserves uh, the same recognition because um, the combat system is, well, it was really innovative. In this case, uh, new God, the new God of War Ragnarok, it has uh, iterated on the previous one. Of course, they didn't remake a new combat system that will make sense in a sequel. The new additions that they, uh, that they made uh, feel really, really great. And I'm also playing it in the hardest difficulty mode possible, so for me, it's going to be a long game. Let's move on. <laughs> To the second half of the show, we are going to be delving deep into the Night Witch.
So, Kevin, can you tell us what is the Night Witch? Well, that's when we start talking about genres, because uh, unfortunately, to talk about video games, the best thing that we can do is compare them. So, in this case, it's a twin stick shooter, narrative driven action adventure, flying metal event. Yes, with bullet I, hell. Yeah, it gets bullet helly. Um, Toho games, for example, uh, your character, like the collision of your character is one pixel in the center and everything, everything is built with bullets and you're trying to navigate through a really, really tiny space. We don't do much of that in the language. It's not like that. I think it's, it's not even as bullet hellish as um, Enter the Gantium which gets closer. Another example would be a Karuga. That means that there are so many bullets that you need to change your color to to, be, to change the areas that you can move around. So that's, that's really, really bullet hellish. That's a lot. In the Night Witch, it's a part of an attack that you are subjected to, and there are very a lot of bullets, but they are slow moving. But sometimes, not only are they slow moving, but they are guided towards you. That's always fun. <laughs> uh, there are different types of bullets, so they chase you around. But yeah. the thing is that um, with some final bosses and some encounters, there's a lot of bullets, especially when you're um, uh, reaching the end of the game. And it's cool because we use that um, to also, as I said before, sorry, with the difficulty, we use that to make you interact with the game's mechanics that are basically the deck building system. Many different ways of clearing bullets. Or, or blocking them with shields or rocks or, or popping them with shockwaves. And basically, there's a certain strategy of having the cards ready in your hand for when there are too many bullets and you can just use your skill alone. So I think we covered it. I mean, you are flying around as a witch. She has she has magic abilities. And I yeah. like to say flying metroidvania, not just because it sounds fun, because I, I, it's, it does sound fun, but... Um, the thing is that we are super used to Metroidvania as being side-scroller platformers. Mm -hmm. uh, we are super used to having double jump. Like when you play a Metroidvania, it's how long till I get to double jump? <laughs> but there's no platforming at all. So pretty no, much everything no. that we knew about Metroidvania level design, we couldn't use it. But we looked at other games that are Metroidvanias, and yeah. you kind of fly. And that means, for example, Link's Awakening. You don't fly, but you can move up and down, left and right. It's like um, the only difference is that the, what you see in the background is the floor in Link's Awakening because it's a top-down game. And what you see in the background is just a background in the, the background. night. Yeah, you're, you you're, you're flying around. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a layered aiming mechanic in The Night Witch. And in layered, I mean that you can directly aim where you're going to shoot with your second you know, thumbstick, or you can just, you know, just shoot. It's fine. It just it will it will hit it eventually at a lowered power level, but it will you'll hit things. Where did that come from? Why does that exist? Why have you got this two tier kind of combat? Because I'm constantly used to some always using the aiming. I know I shouldn't, but I'm always using No, I mean, you have a little bonus to damage if you aim manually. Yeah. Um, but I think that I can't answer this without talking a little bit about accessibility, which is okay. something that was really important for us. As I said, for example, I, I was the designer, I was the lead designer in Rhyme, which is a narrative-driven game where you don't have any combat at all. And accessibility was really important for us. People should be able to play the game if they want. That's something that always stayed with me. It's something really important to me. 
And even if the game does have combat and it can get uh, hard sometimes, we wanted the game to be accessible. If someone wanted to play the game, they should. So uh, yeah, we, we're proud of the accessibility, but you'll see that there's no accessibility settings. But there's accessibility in the game. What we did that we tried to embed that inside the design. For example, it is a twin stick shooter, but you don't need to use the right stick if you don't want. So it, you yeah. can, it can be a single stick shooter. We wanted to encourage people to aim if they uh, wanted to sometimes. We wanted aim to matter a little bit. So we give a little bit of bonus elements. And that's cool because we see people, for example, that use the auto-aiming system, just holding the shooting button for most of the time. But when there's a boss or some enemy that is stronger or is still and it's not moving, they start aiming to increase the damage a little bit. And that feels great. Also, with the auto-aiming system, I couldn't say this reference when we started working in the game, but now I guess I can. Uh, with the auto-ending system, it kind of feels like Vampire Survivors. Uh, I mean, that's a huge difference, but you can just focus on moving around and dodging the enemies. Player will automatically aim, uh, the character will automatically aim at the closest enemy. And it will keep in mind if there's a wall or something. So if there's a wall, it doesn't target the enemy on the other side. And it works pretty well. And um, the character will aim for you, and that's okay. We've we've spoken about the the idea of having slow moving bullets and it's kind of like a, a, a scrolling shoot 'em up basically, but this is kind of at odds with the action adventure genre that you normally you don't normally have this this kind of these kind of attacks that they're, they're normally more direct or they the the creatures you're attacking they lom they you know they latch onto you whereas all of this is sort of ranged combat mm -hmm. why. Well, there's a pretty good explanation for this. Mm -hmm. The thing is that we have the deck building system. So right. all the spells in the game are with cards. Um, the hand, well, the cards that you have in your hand change every time you use a spell. So you have to always be paying attention to the bottom right corner and see the spells that are available and try to make the most and improvise a little bit because the spells are not always ready for you. You have to do what you can with what you have. That takes a lot of mindshare. This is the second time that I use that word, but I, we use it a lot in development. Mindshare is basically the amount of brain power that you have uh, and that you can invest in different things. So we had to slow down the combat. We had to make you be able to see the bullets come towards you and dodge them to make these quick decisions uh, and decide which spell do you want to use. If the enemies were always trying to like, like up your neck all the time, um, you just it will be simply too chaotic, and you wouldn't be able to interact with the deck building system. Uh, basically, we had a clear direction, and we knew that the weirdest part of the combat was the one that you couldn't actually that you that you haven't tried before. Like handling a deck of cards where you are dodging bullets is something that is not really common. So people probably struggle with that at the beginning, and we had to build everything around that. Speaking of the cards, it's my next question because mm -hmm. cannot talk about. The Night Witch without addressing the cards because they are really important and you do a really good job of putting them up front and center and go you need to think about this you really do and um, they are power up cards and they allow the player to adopt different forms of combat and engagement that suits them you know some mm -hmm. of them will want to do more stunning attacks with the knives and stuff and I just what I like about it is I'd like to ask you really about their design, but I think that'll take too long to go through. But what I'm more intrigued about is how 
you can build your deck just like you would a deck building game, a card game, but it's not in the sense of you're playing cards against another foe like you would in Hearthstone or something like that. These are simply powers, and these powers then migrate to your your face buttons on your controller. And um, it's basically you uh, manipulating your power, your spell book, really, that suits your way of play. Was that, could you tell us, how was how did that evolve? I think that I could talk hours and hours about <laughs> the details of how that worked, uh, literally. Uh, but I'm just going to say that uh, the, the, the idea of turning the spells into a card system was there from the very beginning for many right. reasons. One of them being that the Metroidvania genre requires you to have lots of rewards hidden in the environment. You have to reward exploration. And usually you have to give players like a quarter of a reward. Like you get one little piece of something that then it would turn into a maximum amount of bullets or something like that. And we wanted rewards to be as meaningful as possible, but we needed a lot of them. So one of the reasons why the spell card made sense in that genre is that uh, it allowed us to hide many rewards, different cards that give you different options uh, to fight that you can't afford all of them. You cannot use all of them at once they go into the deck building part of the game. So it was great to have a good reward system for a major advantage on one hand. But also when we designed the cards, we didn't think of a card game. We were thinking of a shooter, of a twin stick shooter. So we designed power-ups that you that they might be like basic abilities. You could be spamming uh, the axe attack, for example, again and again in an action game. But instead of giving you uh, these abilities um, like in a in three locked slots, which sometimes happens in games that give you lots of different abilities, that you end up using the three that you like the most, and you don't see all the others. But in this case, by having the rotation of the deck, even if you have one card that you love, once you use it, it's going to be a little while until you see it again. And you have to use others until you see that uh, one again. And that gives a lot of a strategy inside of combat. It also makes returning to encounters funnier if you die. For example, if your enemy kills you and you respond your way back into the encounter. Now you have different spells in your hand, so it changes a little bit. It's not the same path every time. And it basically reinforces every other aspect of the game nicely. The only problem is that you have to pay attention to the hand and the combat at the same time. Okay. Well, um, last question. The visual splendor, it's the only way I can describe it, of the Night Witch is very striking. That's the first thing that struck me. Call me shallow, but the visual, you know, artistry involved and the, the animation and the backgrounds and the lighting and everything is just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And it's quite, it is, like I said, breathtaking. Um, how have you found maintaining this level of, of artistry or visual splendor throughout the entire content? That was actually one of the pillars of the game from the very beginning. And that's, of course, a question for the art team. Mm, of course. Which of course. is mostly two people. There were three people at some moments, but most of the work was done by two people. One of right. them making all the characters, the animations, and the effects. And all the game feel, I have to say, I was the designer of the game, but I didn't have to worry about game feel at all. Everything was done by by by, TK, by Enrique Cortes. Um, but um, 
present from the very beginning, and the other artists did the environments, of course, but uh, from the very beginning, we always said that we want the, um, the game, like every room to feel unique. That was their goal, their personal goal. They wanted, because we've seen huge metroidvanias when there are many environments that look amazing, but sometimes you don't remember exactly in which room you are, because there are some places where you see several rooms that are that have the same um, title sets, say a word or, or the same uh, assets. But in this case, they wanted to make every room one by one, uh, trying to make them like unique pieces. And it was super important for them. Um, I, I guess they did it. They, <laughs> they spent a lot, they worked a lot and they worked super hard because this was a passion project for everybody involved. Um, and yeah, it was something that they, they wanted to do from the, from the very beginning of the development. So it was not by accident. It's something that we, like I tried to say, let's make the environment a little bit cheaper so we can have more rooms or like make, let's make one uh, of the areas um, more simple. But uh, they were really, uh, they really cared about keeping the, the quality through the whole game. And, and yeah, um, I, I can say, I'm not afraid to say that whatever you see on the demo, uh, every other place that you go is going to look just as nice. So, The Night Witch, which is developed by, this is a fantastic name for a group, super yep. awesome hyperdimensional mega team. Now, normally that's I really, ask, yeah, that's, us. that's you. <laughs> normally I ask the question, well, where did that name come from? But now I'm, I'm just a stupid question because they are what they're called. They are the super awesome hyperdimensional <laughs> mega team. I'm assuming on, that's thanks. where the name comes from, but I think you are what you are called. I mean, there's just no need to describe it, you know. But we do ask every every guest where that name. I mean, where you can does it? Did you all cobble it together? Did you think? Did someone sort of say, "Why don't we just call ourselves this and go ever go with that"? I'm afraid I I don't know the answer because <laughs> I joined the team. I joined the team uh, for the night witch, and uh, the oh. company has been going for a long time. The company oh, okay. is. Uh, 12 years old. Nice. Um, and nice they've game. made five other games. Uh, yeah. No, five games in total, including the Night Witch. Nice. And nice. But all of them have amazing art style and really innovative gameplay. Yeah, yeah. But I guess that when they chose the name, they kind of like, uh, <laughs> maybe it sounds rough, like the fake it, could you make it? But maybe they kind of wanted to set the standard of what they wanted to be. Yeah, I think so. You could argue it's a bit self-referential, but whatever. I think it's great. I, I yeah. approve for what it's worth. And I think of course, it's also a reference of uh, the company of the uh, of, um, of the philosophy of the company because we also care deeply about having a good quality of life, and the, the whole team oh, yeah. feels uh, yeah. like happy working. Uh, Indeed, yeah. Uh, in this company, so I'm, I'm... we have. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say that we have, for example, we have uh, four days a week. Uh, for, day, for work days a week, kind right. of scale, yeah. because we think that people that are happier and rested can produce more. And I think that all that means that we are not just the super awesome, happy dimensional um, devs. We also care about the team part. And yeah, The Night Witch is also published by our good friends Team 17. And could you tell us, Kevin, what platforms is The Night Witch available on? Uh, pretty much. Consoles and PC, I'm going to say, because it includes Switch and the two Xboxes and the two Playstations. It is a, a weird era to release a game because you have so many versions. So, uh, Kevin, it's been wonderful having you on the show. It genuinely has. It's uh, been wonderful being here. I 
could talk about all the technical stuff and I could get really into the details of the design, but it's clearly what I yeah. love to talk about. You and I both. So it's been really fun. It's been a meeting of minds. I like that. It's good. So anyway, Kevin, um, you're more than welcome to come back to talk about whatever next is you're working on. Uh, we will be here. Trust me. We've had a lot of return guests. I'm sure you'll be around when we finish the next one. I'm sure we will. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> but until then, thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, canandrinse.com. <laughs>